Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. I was always playing a character. I was always playing, I was either playing a character or I was wearing a mask. I was a version of myself that wasn't necessarily myself. And I was doing that in life as well. I was, I, I don't think I had really... I, I really uh, did the internal work during that time to really know who I was. I was in a relationship that wasn't the best and I was very wrapped up in, in basically, I guess, what other people thought of me and the image that I was putting out there. Because when you're in the entertainment industry and that's what you want to do, images is a lot of it. And you can get really, really lost in that. I think a lot of girls, a lot of women get stuck in like, I need to look a certain way or I need to be a certain way or I need to act a certain way. And I think that for years I was doing that. And then when everything ended, I was left with, okay, now who am I? Like, I need to start showing up as, as me, as Jen Gottlieb, as this, as I know who I am deep down, deep down, deep down, deep down. But I need to like take off the mask and I need to get courageous and I need to let go of the fear and I just need to be vulnerable because if I'm not vulnerable, I can never allow any of the goodness to come in that I, I truly want to attract as myself. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Jen, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. I am so excited. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so I actually uh, was introduced to you at an event that we were both at. And uh, I remember right when you got up on stage, I remember writing down it on my notes. I was like, okay, get that person on Unmistakable Creative because something about what you said intrigued me so much. But before we get into all of that, I want to start by asking you, what social group were you a part of in high school and what impact did that end up having on the choices that you've made with your life and your career? Oh my gosh, that's such an interesting question. And no one has ever asked me that one. I love it. Um, so my high school was a little different in that we didn't have... Um, the social groups weren't as defined. It was a smaller high school. I went to a charter school in Coral Springs, Florida. 
And I bopped around a lot. So I was always the type of girl growing up and type of kid that I did every single activity under the sun. I was, I did karate forever. I was like a almost black belt in karate. I did gymnastics forever. I did ice skating and dancing and singing and acting and horseback riding. And I would just bop around from every single activity to every activity. And I would get really, really good at one specific thing. And then I'd be like, all right, I'm over this one. I want to try something else, which I think, and my parents would let me. So sometimes I think, you know, come on, mom, dad, why didn't you push me a little bit further? I could have been like an Olympic gymnast, you know, but I actually think it ended up working out well for me because it made me well-rounded in all of these different things. And I bring a little bit of everything into what I do now. But in high school, I kind of did the same thing. So there was a year in high school where I was the captain of the cheerleading team. And then there was another year where I decided to completely quit cheerleading and be in the musicals. Um, That's where my heart always was with singing and dancing and acting. It was always there, but I like to try a lot of different things. And I wasn't always the most popular girl in high school. Um, There was, there were times where I really kind of felt like an outcast and I, me and a few of my friends, like towards junior and senior year, just started like skipping school a lot. I was a little bit of a rebel. I um, would skip school and go out with like the college kids and go out and party. And I definitely had my rebellious phase junior and senior year. So I would say there were points in times in high school where I was really into it and really into high school and I was a cheerleader and I was like in the click. And then there are point in times where I like would pull back and kind of be a little bit more rebellious and not really so active in school. But the one thing that always stuck was I was always part of the theater. So no matter what, um, I was always kind of a pseudo theater geek and I was always doing the musicals because that was my, my passion always since I was basically since I came out of the womb, I've been singing and dancing and acting and wanting to be on stage. So that ended up because I was so into theater in high school, even though my grades senior year were pretty freaking awful. Like I almost didn't graduate because my grades were so bad because I was just over school. Um, a lot of stuff happened in my family and I was just a really, um, I was, I was rebelling a lot, uh, senior year. And, um, the reason that I graduated high school was because I ended up auditioning to get into the university of Hartford, which has a really amazing musical theater program. And I got a really big scholarship to go there. And my high school really wanted me to be able to go to that college. They were really proud of me. They were really excited for me. And I did so well in theater in high school that, Uh, my teachers hooked it up and, um, they passed me so that I could, uh, go to that college. And I think that essentially really, in fact, I know that kickstarted my career in acting, singing and dancing, um, because of, because of that move. Mm -hmm. So I guess that answers that question. Um, (laughs) what, what planted the seed for this uh, love for theater and, and singing and dancing? Was this something that you were just exposed to growing up? Were your parents into this kind of stuff? How did it start? Well, ever since I could remember, since I was, I mean, you can, well, there's videos of me from when I was three years old, just dancing on tables. I would, I, that, I know that sounds like I love to dance on tables. <laughs> <laughs> kid. Um, I could have gone a totally different direction. Good thing it went the other way. But I just loved to put on shows. I loved, um, 
my parents noticed very, very early that I was always wanting to perform. And I was watch, I would watch like all of the we sing videotapes and all of like the kids videotapes. And I would just get up on the table and imitate what they were doing. I loved Michael Jackson as a kid, loved, still love Michael. Uh And I would spend hours and hours and hours in my living room dancing and singing to Michael Jackson, Annie, like the sun will come out tomorrow, Annie Mm -hmm. and the wizard of Oz. Like, Forever. My parents were like, all right, we got to put this girl in acting classes like we just have to. So I um, I took an acting class. And when I was really little in Chicago, and that's where I grew up. Well, that's where I grew up until first grade. And uh, agents came into the acting class and they picked me out and they told my parents that they wanted to represent me. And then I started auditioning and I started getting really into it. Um, and that was the start of of kind of just working, like my parents putting me in singing and dancing and acting classes uh, and me discovering that I really, really love to do that. And then, of course, I did lots of children's theater when we we moved to Florida when I was in first grade. And I immediately got into children's theater and I, I did uh, some professional theater as a child, too. I just remember, you know, we have these moments. Uh, I don't know if you have these like memories from when you're a kid where you where you can specifically remember a thought that you were having. And I will never forget this one moment. I think I must have been about 10 or 12 and I was on a stage performing. And I remember thinking in my mind, like I was just standing on stage. I wasn't doing anything. I think I was like someone else was singing and I was standing there and I was looking out in the audience. And I remember thinking in my mind, like, this is the best feeling in the world. And I want to do this for the rest of my life. And I think I was like 10 and, and I will never forget that. That's like, it always has been there with me. So I've known from a really young age that, that that's where I'm the most comfortable and and when I'm the happiest when I'm on stage. Did your perception of the fact that this is a career and this is a job change as you got older, as opposed to when you were doing it, you know, when you were younger, where it was, Hey, I'm doing this because I absolutely love it. A hundred percent. It absolutely did. So my very first real, well, I wouldn't say real gig. I've been doing real gigs for a long time, but my dream role in my life uh, after I got out of college was to play Linda in the national tour of the wedding singer. Well, not necessarily in the national tour. I just wanted to be the character of Linda in the Broadway show, the wedding singer. I saw it on Broadway and I saw Felicia Finley play the role and It was so hilarious and so amazing and just resonated with me so much that I was like, I have to play that part. Like that is the part I want to play. That's my dream role. I'm going to get that part one day. And I basically made it my mission in life to get that role. Um, There was a lot of manifesting going on. I tried to use like the secret and I, I essentially think that it definitely worked because I really put out into the universe what I wanted and I focused really hard on it and I... I would imagine myself in the role and I did all of her songs for my final demos in college and I auditioned my ass off and I finally booked this part and I got to play Linda and the Wedding Singer um, in the Broadway national tour. So I toured the country for a year on a bus and airplanes and hotels and the whole shebang playing this role. Now, this was my dream role, right? So you would think that I would be the happiest person on the face of the planet doing this. Now I was, when I was on stage performing, I was like every single time I was on stage and in that moment and performing my, my songs and like being uh, with the other characters on stage and being in front of an audience, I was totally in flow and totally happy. But 
the actual job of being a working actor and being a gypsy and like traveling from city to city and not, you know, sleeping on buses and not really having a home base and not, not having, you know, the, the things that we love to have at home, we, you know, you're kind of roughing it on the road wasn't ideal for me. And I discovered really, really quickly that, wow, okay, here I am playing my dream role. This is all I ever wanted, but I'm not really that happy with the lifestyle. So maybe this isn't the road that I want to take. And that's when I realized that maybe the traditional um, idea of being an actress, like auditioning for all these shows and going and doing shows in different states, like what a lot of my friends were doing and then eventually doing Broadway, maybe wasn't the road that I wanted to take because that wasn't the lifestyle that I really liked and it didn't feel, didn't feel good to me. Mm-hmm. So a couple of things come from this. Um, mm-hmm. Earlier in our conversation, you mentioned two things that I thought were really interesting paradoxes. One was that you were captain of the cheerleading team. And the second mm-hmm. was that you felt like an outcast. And I would never imagine those two things to go together. Right. Um, so I'm curious what you have to say about that. But w- the question that came up in my mind was, uh, did you ever see theater and acting as an escape from the real world, uh, this fantasy world in which you get to be who you want to be and create what you want to create? A hundred percent. Yeah. I don't think when I was, when I was doing it, I really looked at it as that. Um, but now looking back when I was on stage, when I was performing, it was always my happy place, right? You, you don't ever, you completely embody the person that you're playing on stage and you completely embody the experience that that character is having on stage. And so you are essentially escaping your real life and everything, even if you're doing a sad scene, everything is, it feels to me energized and happy and amazing and beautiful on stage. So yeah, I guess looking back, I could totally tell you now that it was escapism. And that was part of the reason why I loved it so much. Um, but in the moment when I was doing it, I probably didn't, didn't realize that I wasn't as introspective as I am now. (laughs) So Hmm. yeah. Why do you think that we often idealize um, these things that we think that we want kind of the way you did with acting. I, you know, in my mind, you know, so I'm watching David Letterman and uh, do this show on, on Netflix and thinking this is the coolest job in the world. I, I kind of wish I had it. Uh, but in my mind, I don't think we see everything else that comes with it. And yet we still tend to idealize um, certain goals and certain lifestyles. We put startup founders on pedestals or internet celebrities on pedestals and we think that is what we want. And having been in the position of getting exactly what you wanted, why do you think we idealize such things? Well, I don't think we see the entire picture. And we certainly don't. And even with today's day and age with social media and the way that the media is, you know, we only see the fancy, pretty, beautiful highlight reel of everybody's lives, even, you know, celebrities and people that are doing things that we all wish we could do, right? We all were like, oh my gosh, whatever we look at, sorry, my dog's barking, the, uh, the Kardashians and um, all the celebrities that are posting all these fabulous, beautiful pictures. That's all we're seeing, but they're real people too. And, and there are hardships of the job. We just don't see it. So of course we idealize it. Like you, you watch Letterman, you watch these people on, on TV interviewing people. Yeah. It looks like the coolest job of all time, but you're not seeing all the lead up to that one episode. You're not seeing all the research and the work that goes into that one episode. And maybe they're up all night preparing for that episode. You only see like 
the shiny, amazing finished product. And I think that that actually is harming us now more than ever um, as just as human beings with, with social media and everything because people get online and they're seeing everybody's highlight reel and seeing everybody's sparkly, beautiful, perfect life that everyone wants everyone else to see. And they're saying, whoa, I want that. Why doesn't my life look like that? And, they're, and pe- people are feeling like shit about themselves way too often when they're not seeing the full picture. So I guess I would I saw people on Broadway doing what I love to do. Yes, they're doing what I love to do. They're performing on stage. Oh, my God, if I could only do that, if I could only perform on stage every single night, eight shows a week for the rest of my life, I would be happy. But I didn't know all of the work that goes on behind the scenes leading up to that and all of the things that you need to sacrifice to do that. Um, all of the auditioning that you need to do, all of the, you need to get rejected every single day, day after day after day after day and uh, wait tables and be a gypsy and not really have a home base and not really have that much money and work for very little. And, and I didn't see all that. I just saw the magic of being on stage. And I loved that. But then when I realized the lifestyle that it was, you know, oh, that was the part that I didn't necessarily see. So, yeah, we we idealize the, the sparkly, beautiful, magical thing that people put out there because that's what we see. And we don't see the behind the scenes work. I wish we saw more of that. And maybe we wouldn't idealize these these jobs and, and these people as much as we do. What did uh, this period of your life teach you about mastery of craft and practice? Because I get the sense from just what you've told me about the way you approached activities uh, and the fact that you got good at things, you had a, a certain work ethic that went into this. And so I, I'm wondering what pra- what it taught you about practice. Mm. So much. So that was the first real uh, national tour I had ever done. And I never really knew. We had to put that show up in two weeks. And when I heard that, our rehearsal process for an entire Broadway show was going to be two weeks. I was like, are you crazy? Like, how how are we going to put up an entire show in two weeks? And I was very intimidated and I was very scared because a lot, most of the cast had done lots of shows before and they put up shows in two weeks, plenty, and they have tons of practice with learning choreography very quickly, but I didn't. Um, so it taught me a lot about buckling down and working my ass off to learn because there's pressure, you know, when you're getting paid, that's your job. And if you don't know the dance move and you're not getting the dance move by the time the show opens, you could get fired. So I remember staying up all night, some nights working on that choreography and, you know, playing this role. It was such a important thing to me that I just, I rehearsed my ass off and it taught me a lot about what I'm capable of, what my body's capable of, because I was traveling all over the country and I was dancing 10 shows a week and I was, and I never missed one show. And I was, there was a lot of times when I was in severe pain, my body was killing me. I was not happy because I hadn't slept, right? I wasn't eating properly because we were traveling all over the place. And sometimes like all there was, was McDonald's and, you know, I'm a health person, so I wasn't going to eat that. And, and there were times where I felt like, oh my God, I might not be able to do this show right now. And I pushed through. So it taught me about resilience and about what my body's capable of if I, it's, it's a lot of, it's about mindset. And sometimes when we feel like we can't do something, uh, 
we're wrong. <laughs> we're absolutely, we really, our bodies can go a lot further than we think and we can learn a lot faster than we think. And, um, I never really gave myself that opportunity to learn that up until this show. And it did teach me how far I can push myself and how much I can learn in such a short period of time. And I've taken that with me now. And whenever I feel like I have, uh, a deadline that I have to meet or something just feels way too scary or way too hard or, um, way too painful for me to do. I do remember back to the time when I was on tour and I was doing things that I would never imagine that I was capable of doing. And, um, so yeah, it definitely has, has stuck with me. And I've learned a lot from that experience about work ethic. Mm -hmm. When did this part of your career come to an end and how? So as I said, um, I realized very quickly into it that traveling around the country was on a bus was not my favorite thing. And all of my friends on tour who I'm still friends with now will tell you that I didn't love it so much. I loved being on stage, but I didn't love all the other stuff that came with it. So I decided to leave a little bit early and, um, I left the tour maybe four months before it ended or something like that. And I, I came home to New York and, um, that was the last show, like full production show that I did. Um, but about a month later I ended up booking that metal show, which was an entire new chapter of my life and a new form of performance, I guess you could say for me, the new experience that took on a mind of its own and became something that I never thought it would become. Um, on, so the, the role that I played in wedding singer was Linda and she was like a, I guess, Joan Jett wannabe, like wannabe rock star, very like, 1980s rocker chick. And when I came back a couple weeks later, I, I got a casting notice for this TV show on VH1 called that metal show. And they needed a sexy, heavy metal girl. And I'm like, awesome. I just did that for a whole year. I can go get this job. I'll go book this. No problem. And like, I don't know. I was just on this high from just doing that show. And I felt like I could do anything. Like I just told you, I was like, look at what I'm capable of. Like I'm unstoppable. I was feeling good. Very proud of myself and very accomplished. And, um, I decided I'm going to get this part. I, I like, there goes my manifesting law of attraction stuff happening. And I Googled a lot of heavy metal information right before I went into the audition because, to be honest, I had absolutely no idea anything about heavy metal music, nor was I a fan. And I booked the role. Um, it started off as a very small little part on this half an hour long TV show that had this really niche following of people that liked rock and roll and heavy metal music. And my part was basically just to be Miss Box of Junk, which um, I don't, your listeners uh, may have not seen the show before, but it's three um, guys, three hosts that interview really, really big uh, rock stars. Um, all the biggest rock stars and heavy metal stars in the world, they would interview. And there was this one segment on the show where Eddie Trunk, one of the hosts or the main host, uh, the, would do this segment called Stump the Trunk. And the live studio audience would ask Eddie a question and try to stump him because he knows every single thing there is to know about hard rock and heavy metal music. And my job was if the audience member stumped Eddie, I would bring out this box of prizes and they would pick out a prize. And that was it. 
I was getting paid like nothing to do this. I was just like, I didn't really say anything. It was this little tiny gig, but it was cool to me because it was on VH1 and it was a gig and I got home from, from my tour and I, I, I got this thing on, on this show on VH1, which was a big deal. So it, it was great. Um, but then it turned into that it, something much, much bigger than that. Um, and that, I guess to answer the question that you asked, that was the transition into television from theater. And that's how, um, that's how I got, I, I stopped, I basically stopped doing theater and into TV kind of on accident or just by booking this, this gig. What are the lessons from the theater that you brought to the world of television? Actually, I learned a lot. It was the other way around. When I started doing television, I learned a lot of what I shouldn't be doing from what I learned from theater. So when you're on stage, you have to be larger than life. And I think that's what I loved about being on stage. I still love being on stage a little bit more than I love being on TV. In fact, I love it a lot more than I love being on TV. Uh, I, I love that you can be this huge character and larger than life. And, and I'm really, I find like, I think I'm pretty good at that, <laughs> of overdoing it. And then when you're on TV, you have to internalize it and take it down a little bit. And even though my role on that metal show was myself, um, I was still pretty much a character version of myself. But I found that after watching the first season and maybe the first two or three seasons, I was like, oh my gosh, I need to take it down a little bit. Like you have to be smaller because every single little thing that you do is amplified when you're on TV and it can look fake or it can look, you know, when you're on stage, it's okay if something looks cheesy or fake. It has to be big. It has to be over the top. It has to be almost not as realistic uh, because you're trying to reach people in the very, very back row. On TV, you don't have that situation. So I learned how to take it down a notch when I got on television and how to show up maybe a little bit more as me, authentically me, even though I still wasn't completely authentically me. We can talk about that later. Yeah. I was this heavy metal version of myself. But I did learn how to take it down and be a little bit less over the top and a little bit less of that escapism situation and brought a little bit more reality into what I was doing. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this, you're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Hmm. Did your role in the show change over time? And uh, from being sort of leading the musical and kind of in the spotlight, what was it like to go to a place initially, at least from, you know, where you weren't in the spotlight? Yeah, so my role changed um, because, well, going from being the lead in the show and then having this... You know, I didn't really feel like I wasn't in the spotlight on that metal show when I first got it. I was pretty excited about it because I was the only girl. It was three guys and me, and, and I was happy about the gig. I, I didn't really feel bummed that I wasn't in the spotlight at that point in time. I felt um, like it was the perfect transition for me to get into television. I never really think of parts as being small. There's only small actors, right? Not small roles. I think there's the quote that uh, that's pretty popular. And I just tried to make the best out of it. And I was just grateful to have it. I didn't really feel like I like I had a small role. Mm-hmm. But the, the role did grow. I never imagined that it would. But after the first season, they called me up and they were like, all right, Jen, we are moving the show to L.A. We're going to be filming in L.A. We filmed in New York the first season that I did. And they said, you can come and we'll pay for your flight. 
but we are not going to pay for your stay and you have to stay here for two weeks. So because you're replaceable. Essentially, I was. I had only done one season. So they could hire somebody out in L.A. to do what I did. Wasn't a big deal. I wasn't like part of the show yet. I had only done it once. And I at that point in time, I said to my mom, actually, I was like, Mom, I have to go do this. If I do the second season, I will be in. So I have to find a way to, because I didn't really know anybody in LA. So I was like, I have to find a way to pay for a hotel for two weeks. And I have to go out there. I have to make this happen. Because if I make this happen, it will set the trajectory forever. I just knew I had this feeling that it was going to be big and it was going to be great. So my mom was like, you know, props to my mom. She was awesome. She was like, all right, let's do this. I'm going to go with you and we're going to go and we'll get a hotel for two weeks and, and we'll just do it. So we went out and I'm so grateful that I did. Sometimes you just have to listen to your intuition, to that inner voice. And, and that inner voice told me there, it was like, you got to just go, you got to invest. And this was one of the first uh, times that I learned that you have to invest in yourself. I never really understood that uh, as much as I did after this happened because I was like, I, I just got to, you know, I was young. I didn't have really a lot of money or anything, but I asked my mom for help. I got together what I could get together and we invested and it ended up paying off twofold because when I got there, they said to me, all right, so the show is going to go from a half an hour to an hour. And that means that you're going to have a bigger part. And that means that you went from in under five to now you're going to be having lots of lines. So you're going to have to become SAG. So that's how I got my SAG card. And we're going to have to pay you SAG scale, which was a lot more money than what I was making before. So I ended up making all of that money back times two or three or something. It was amazing. And for me at that time, I was like, wow, so much money. It's so awesome. And I ended up having a much bigger role on the show for that initial season in LA. And then once I did that, I was in and the show became very, very successful in its niche with our followers, the heavy metal people. I mean, they're so, so committed and they're such amazing fans and they kept our show running for 14 seasons. And by the last season that we did, uh, not only was I on the show a lot more with the guys and doing, you know, helping interview the guests and everything like that. But I got to have my own web series where eventually I became a trainer during this point in time. And the producer said to me, you know, you should really talk about fitness, uh, on the YouTube channel. And so I got to end up interviewing all these huge rock stars about what they like to do in the gym and how they eat. <laughs> and, uh, and it was really, really, really fun to do that and like kind of incorporate both of my, both of my loves into one thing. Um, did you get to a point where like you were recognized on the streets? Every once in a while. Yeah. But it wasn't that big. Like our show, I still, I'll, I'll talk about it and people are like, Oh, I don't watch TV. I'm like, even if you don't, even if you did watch TV, you would only really know our show. If you're a hard rock and heavy metal fan, we have amazing fans and we have a pretty big fan base, but it's very, 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 very niche. So whenever I would get noticed on the street, like it was a really big notice and people would like give me a hug. Oh my God. I, you know, they're very passionate. 
So every once in a while, but I wasn't like, I always call myself like an F-list celebrity. I'm not like an <laughs> A, B, C, D. I'm an F-list and it's okay. And I was damn proud of being an F-list celebrity. It was awesome because the fans that we have are the best, I'm going to use a curse word, fucking fans in the world. And they're so passionate and they're so enthusiastic. And so like the few times that I did get noticed on the street, they were wonderful moments. And I felt like I knew those people, you know, like hugs all around excitement. It was, it's very fun to connect with the, that metal show fans. Yeah. So you mentioned that you've got to, uh, interview, you know, a lot of famous rock stars and, and really big sort of celebrities. Uh, what surprised you about them? And what, if anything, did you take away about success and, and the success at that scale? Uh, I know you only talked to them about fitness, but I'd imagine you might have learned a few other things from them as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, just that they're real. They are real people. As you said before, like we put these people on a pedestal a lot of the times and we envision that it's this thing that is so untouchable and, um, not necessarily realistic. Like it's this sparkly, shiny thing that we see. Um, and when I saw these people in real life and got to know them and sat with them in the makeup room and chit chatted with them, they're totally normal people completely just, just, it, it took it all that shiny sparkliness away. And they're there. A lot of them are really cool, awesome, amazing, fabulous people but just regular people, just like you and I. And they would just have regular conversations with me. And sometimes I would be really intimidated and really nervous and really scared to talk to some of them. And once I started talking to them, I would, I was like, oh, they're just normal, just regular people. And we would talk about like their dogs or, you know, uh, their cats or their kids or, or whatever. And it was really, it was, that was a cool lesson to learn. Um, being around people that at, you know, I would see on stage, like as this rock star, that this, this fantasy person that's like not even real, like playing these instruments and just like, you know, we idolize these people and, and then just having them in a room chit chatting about carrots or whatever healthy foods they like to eat or they don't like to eat. I don't know why I just said carrots, but, or, or with Lita Ford, we were talking about blueberries for like 15 minutes. Cause I was asking her what her favorite healthy food is like stupid, like totally dumb, you know, regular, normal human being conversations. Um, it changed my viewpoint a lot on what I used to think about, um, the whole celebrity thing. Uh-huh. Who really stood out to you and why? Well, I, I talk about Lita Ford and the reason I talk about Lita Ford, I think it's just uh, so synchronistic of what happened in my life. And I think it's really cool to pay attention to the synchronicities of life uh, for a lot of reasons. But when I was on the road with Wedding Singer, when I started doing Wedding Singer, my friend April came to me and she said, you know, your character is so much like Lita Ford. Do you know who she is? And I was like, no, who is this Lita Ford person? I had no idea. And so I started Googling and researching and sure enough, Lita Ford, I don't know if you, if you know of her, but she is a badass, amazing rocker, like rocker chick. And I 
decided, oh my gosh, this is my character and I'm going to base my character off of her. So before every show, I would listen to Lita Ford and I'd never known who she was previously. And I just loved her and, and not a lot of people, you know, she's, she's well known in, in the hard rock world, but you know, she's not super, super, super famous. So it's not that like unheard of if you haven't heard of Lita Ford. And I loved her, became a total mega fan of Lita Ford. And then circle around, next gig I get, one of the very first guests that we have on the show is Miss Lita Ford. And that was the craziest thing to me because first of all, like the, the, the chances are that I even like heard of her during Wedding Singer and decided to base my character off of her and studied her and, and then to get to meet her and be on the same show as her and tell her that story, it was a very, very, very cool moment for me. Wow. Um, I don't know if you've seen it yet. Uh, and I, I've been obsessively watching the interviews on, on David Letterman's new show that he has on Netflix. And the first guest was Barack Obama. And mm-hmm. towards the end of the conversation, they had one of what I thought was the most provocative moment of that interview. And Barack Obama says to David Letterman something along the lines of, I've you know, been in politics, met a lot of people who have become famous in business, entertainment, and you know, uh, you know, people who've worked hard. Uh, but there are a lot of people who've worked just as hard who haven't accomplished those things. And he said, do you feel that there's been an element of luck in this at all? And David Letterman's response was, I feel nothing but lucky. And so I have to ask you, uh, as somebody who has had a career in the arts and gotten to accomplish uh, things that many people uh, who desire to have careers in the arts actually don't, do you ever feel that there has been luck involved in any of this? I do. I do believe in luck. But I believe that luck is just the first step. You get a little bit of luck, but then you need to take action, right? So people get lucky all the time. They, they'll have some kind of lucky thing happen to them, but then they ruin the experience. They, they ruin the opportunity because they don't take action because of fear or because of whatever, uh, whatever limiting beliefs that they have, or, you know, it's usually fear. (laughs) Fear is usually that thing that makes us not take action. Right. So, I think there were a few things that happened to me that were lucky or maybe, yeah, lucky, but I was so prepared in my mind. I had done the work. Like I really do believe that a lot of the things that happens in throughout my career, I, I kind of like manifested, like I put out into the universe. I I knew that, that, that certain things were going to happen. And I would just always think about them and always know that when the opportunity came, you know, I don't really necessarily believe in the law of attraction in the way of like, Oh, if you just imagine it, it, it's like happens, like it's magic, like, Ooh, poof. No, that's not how it works. But it's just that when you fully believe and feel that you are going to accomplish something, you kind of change you change the tape that's playing in your subconscious mind and your subconscious mind is what really actually makes us take action. So you're subconsciously moving in the way towards your goals and on the way towards your goals, lucky shit starts to happen to you. And when that lucky stuff starts to happen to you, then you need to grasp onto that, see that luck and be like, Oh, there it is. That's the opportunity. Get it. And then take action. 
And so, yes, I believe in luck, but I don't think that the things that happened to me happened to me because of luck. I think they happened to me because I took that lucky moment and I, I took action on it. And there's one other part of this that uh, I knew that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, you, know, you mentioned 14 seasons of the show on VH1, uh, a year uh, in a show uh, on, on Broadway. And the question that brings up for me is that it brings up for me is, is a, around sort of uh, a loss of identity that occurs when something that has been such a big part of our lives no longer is. Did you feel that in any way at all? And how did you manage it? If you did, how did you deal with it? Totally. There was a lot of things that happened to me uh, after, I guess, after you would say, well, first after after Wedding Singer mid that metal show, but really when that metal show ended, where I had to finally, I think that this is what you kind of saw when you saw me speak on stage at, I think it was, it was Archangel, and what I said was for years and years and years, I had gotten to perform uh, on massive stages all over the place and, and be on TV and, and I loved it and everything, but I was always playing a character. I was always playing, I was either playing a character or I was wearing a mask. I was a version of myself that wasn't necessarily myself. And I was doing that in life as well. I was, I, I don't think I had really, I, I really uh, did the internal work during that time to really know who I was. I was in a relationship that wasn't the best and I was very wrapped up in, in basically, I guess what other people thought of me and the image that I was putting out there, because when you're in the entertainment industry and that's what you want to do, images is a lot of it. And you can get really, really lost in that. I think a lot of girls, a lot of women get stuck in like, I need to look a certain way or I need to be a certain way or I need to act a certain way. And I think that for years I was doing that. And then when everything ended, I was left with, okay, now who am I? Like, I need to start showing up as, as me, as Jen Gottlieb, as this, as I know who I am deep down, deep down, deep down, deep down. But I need to like take off the mask and I need to get courageous and I need to let go of the fear and I just need to be vulnerable because if I'm not vulnerable, I can never allow any of the goodness to come in that I, I truly want to attract as myself. So I decided to really rebrand myself, my rebrand myself internally and externally. So the way that I was coming across online and there was a lot of fear there because I had this huge fan base, uh, from that metal show and everyone like saw me as this like heavy metal girl. And that was like my, I guess you would call it claim to fame, like my F list claim to fame. But I, I had to, I was like, all right, I had to make the conscious decision to kind of let go of that and know that if those people really loved me, that they would still like me if I came out as, as who I really am. And that's, you know, I'm now in the health industry and, and mindset. And, um, finally, I think talking about publicly the things that I truly believe in in my heart. And I did a lot of self-discovery and taking down those walls and those, and like that makeup and that mask and that, uh, the big hair and the, you know, all of the stuff, taking it all down and just being like, this is who I am. This is what I believe in. This is what I stand for truly was very scary and very hard. And it was a process, but it freed me essentially. 
And I think that the more that we do that, the freer that we become. And then the more, first of all, the more we deeply, we connect with others because people are attracted to vulnerability and authenticity and really they can relate to you more. So I've made so, so much more amazing connections and I feel so much more fulfilled because the things that I'm doing now, yes, I'm not performing on stage right now, but I feel like I get to perform every day in a way that feels so aligned to me and I get to help people. So that transition was hard, but it was necessary. And I'm so, so grateful for it. And, you know, everything happens for a reason. But yes, that all happened to teach me, you know, what it felt, what it, what it felt like to be hiding behind a kind of a mask and, and trying to fit into the mold of what everybody else thinks that I should be. And, and then what it feels like to actually take that down and be who I truly am and speak my truth. And I think that I'm using all of those lessons that I learned to help other people. So I'm really, really, really grateful for it. You know, it's interesting to, uh, talk to somebody who has been in front of a camera in front of a large audience about the masks, uh, that media creates. It's something that I've spent a lot of time thinking about, uh, I remember when I met Glenn Beck, uh, I didn't know anything about him. And I had a lot of, you know, based on the handful of things I'd heard from people in my audience, I had some preconceived notions and thought, okay, but this guy's going to not be very nice. But yeah. I realized that uh, one of the, the unusual challenges of, of a media presence, one that is incredibly large, is the inevitable gap between um, how people perceive you and the person that you really are. Uh, and it's something that I've, I've wrestled with uh, over the last year quite a bit because I think that you know, the way that you and I connect in the context sitting at a dinner table is very different than the, you and, you, the context that you and I are connecting right now. And mm. I think it's more a commentary than anything else, um, but, but I'm really interested in what you have to say about it because I think that media and a presence, a media presence of any sort, inevitably creates a mask of some sort. Mm. Absolutely. Totally. Um, because you're never going to really be able to get a sense of who you, who that person is exactly really their true core when you're just watching somebody on TV or you're listening to a podcast or, you know, you're, you're watching them on, on YouTube or a Facebook live or seeing them on Facebook. Like I said, like either way, like still on Facebook and Instagram, if you go onto my Instagram, like I have very curated, beautiful pictures because that's how I like to share my messaging. And I love to make beautiful pictures. I love to work with great photographers. It's like one of the things that I love to do. I actually do run a production company now where I help people create pictures like that. I think it's fun. Um, but so I guess you could say that it would look like, you know, people wouldn't really get a vibe of like who I really am if they were to sit and connect with me and, and speak with me in person. I mean, that's just, I guess like that's, that's the, unfortunately the way it is, but I've been trying to show up, I guess the more, we can show up as ourselves um, on Facebook Live, you know, things like where you can actually really connect with people, the better. But I mean, when it comes down to it, one-on-one, -on -one, in-person connection is where it's at. That's it. And we're not really connecting with each other anymore as human beings as much as we used to in person, sitting at a dinner table or just meeting up and talking. It's all like behind screens, which kind of, you know, it's great for so many reasons because you connect, you can connect with so many more people and you can get pretty deep connections, but it's never, ever, ever going to be as deep and as intimate. And you're never going to get to know somebody as well or have as good of a, 
uh, a connection with somebody than if you sit with them face to face. And so I would love like the next step, like what I would love to start doing is just speaking in, in public more and doing more public speaking or holding seminars and workshops because I've seen the power of that. I've seen the power of like when you and I went to this workshop together, we could have connected all day long on social media and Facebook and like, it doesn't matter how authentic I'm being on social media and how authentic you're being on social media. We're still, we still wouldn't have gotten that connection that we did meeting up in person and having dinner together and really like having a really nice, like intimate one-on-one human being to human being conversation. It, they, they can't match up. It's just, I don't, I don't think it's possible. I'd love to hear your opinion on that too. Yeah, I don't think they can match up. I mean, I, yeah. I, I think that it's something that, like I said, I've, I've wrestled with all year. But I realized that the version of me that my closest friends get is a really different version than the version that, you know, uh, people see through my work. Yeah. And and I think that that maybe that that is kind of healthy because your work you know, you do have your work face and then you do have your friends and family face, right? Everybody has that. And I think that's normal and that's natural. And we can be okay with that. We don't have to say, oh my gosh, I'm not being authentic enough online and with my business and I'm not being, you know, sometimes we just have to take a deep breath and be like everything that I'm doing, as long as we feel aligned with what we're doing and it feels good to us. And we feel like we're living our truth in whatever way that truth is, if that's, you know, putting on our, our podcast face when we go on podcasting, cause that's your job or putting on your TV face when you go on TV. But as long as you're showing up, like this is authentic to me, this is, this is what I feel. I'm, this is how I'm serving at my highest possible um, way of serving, I guess you, you could say like, and helping people as much as I possibly can with this face on, then that's great. And just know that that's what it is. And that's, and you know that when you're with your friends and family, you have your other face on and you can just be that person for them. Um, I guess that that's, that's the way that I would like to look at it. Just let go and stop overanalyzing about it and just try to show up as your true self everywhere you are in whatever realm that is. Wow. Well, uh, this has been really, really amazing. Actually, one of my favorite conversations I've had all year. Uh, oh, my God. So I have one last question for you, which is yes. how we finish all of our interviews at The Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Makes somebody unmistakable. Being unapologetic. Just being you, doing you, doing what you love, helping people in the way that you love to help people and being unapologetic about it. And that will make you unmistakable. Just owning it. I think that makes a really fitting end to our conversation. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Um, they can go to my website, uh, com, And then I'm on Facebook all the time. Just Jen Gottlieb, please. Like if you want to know more, just DM me. I'm very accessible. Or my Instagram is at Jen Leah Gottlieb. Leah has an H at the end. That's it. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Hold up. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World, and this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator, that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.